All right, 1 Kings 5 and 2 Chronicles 2 are going to uh, parallel uh, today. I believe they are complete chapters, and they're both exactly 18 verses long. So 1 Kings 5 is where we'll start today. And you may have a title up above, 1 Kings 5 or 2 Chronicles uh, 2, and it should be the same about uh, preparing uh, to build the temple. The order of events is a little different in these texts, so we'll try to go back and forth and try to understand um, what God wants us to, to know. So 1 Kings 5 starts with Hiram, king of Tyre. Um, I believe this is the same Tyre as today, which is in Lebanon, just north of uh, Israel. And obviously Hiram uh, says in end of in, in verse one, he sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. And it tells us why he sent the servants because Hiram loved, always loved David. So David and, and Hiram are great friends, and when David passes, Solomon becomes king, and Hiram is going to have a great relationship with Solomon. They're going to have a treaty uh, down in verse 12 of 1 Kings 5. And so uh, Hiram initiates this conversation, and Solomon sends word back to Hiram in verse 2. And so a um, couple things here. Uh Godly leaders like David attract other God-fearing leaders. So hold your hand here in 1 Kings 5. I said we're going to go flip back and forth. 2 Chronicles tells us a little bit more of the conversation and what uh, Hiram is thinking. And discerning from what we see in the text of Scripture, this is all we know uh, about uh, some people, what they say. Uh, but often what they say being recorded, we can determine whether or not they're God-fearing um, people in the Old Testament, New Testament. And it sounds like in 2 Chronicles 2, verses 11 and 12, um, what Hiram thinks of God, it sounds like he's a God-fearing king. And so let's read that together. 2 Chronicles 2, 11 and 12. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, answered in a letter be sent to Solomon. This is some correspondence that we'll get back to. Uh, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. And Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, who has discretion and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. So he says about the Lord and blesses the Lord. Sounds like a psalm. How many of the psalms start? But he also says of the Lord God of Israel, he is the maker of heaven and earth. And he praises God for giving uh, King David a wise son. So it sounds here uh, that Hiram is a God-fearing leader. And so godly leaders attract other God-fearing leaders. The second thing uh, that we'll see is, um, let's go back to 1 Kings 5. That Solomon's desire to build uh, the temple, and he has a response to Hiram. Hiram sends his servants because he loves David, and then um, so we get some insight into what, um, how Solomon receives this job. 
Now, if we've read through First uh, Kings or uh, the end of Second Samuel, and we've read First Chronicles, we understand this, but Hiram doesn't know this information, and the writer of Scripture wants us to be reminded of how Solomon got the job of building the house uh, for the Lord. Verse 3. First Kings 5, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. So three times in verses 3, 5, and 6, we have Solomon saying, I'm going to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, for his name. So why does why does uh, Solomon tell Hiram that he is building a house for the name of the Lord. And uh, the title, I think, of 1 Kings 5 and 2 Chronicles 2 would be Preparing to Honor the Lord's Sovereign Name. God is, and as Hiram gives us a little bit of information about what he thinks of God, God is the maker of heaven and earth. He is worthy to have a house built for his name. And if he's the maker of heaven and earth, to magnify that name so that all of the rest of the nations could come and worship, which is the intent of God calling Israel out of Egypt, uh, he says that you guys are going to magnify my name. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. The whole earth is going to come and worship me through your kingdom. That's what God says in Exodus 19. So when he says that to Moses, and now... Um, since Moses to Solomon about 400 to 500 years later. And then what he said to David, what David has relayed, relayed to Solomon um, is that Solomon is the one who is to build this house. Does he have the resources to? Absolutely. Does he have the peace all around him? It says he has no adversary or misfortune. So his kingdom is established. We have seen that as uh, the text of scripture has unfolded that for us. He's got no uh, internal struggles. He's got no external struggles. He's at a time of peace so that he can focus on one thing, building a magnificent house uh, for the name of God, to magnify God's sovereign name. Now let's go over to Second Chronicles chapter 2. And then in Second Chronicles, we get a little more of how this um, house is going to, and this is, um, we don't have um, this in both places, so we're going to have to go back and forth because it's only in in one place. So Second Chronicles 2, uh, in Solomon, verse 3, sent word to Hiram, the king of Tyre, as you dealt with David, my father, and sent him cedar to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. And we know that Hiram loves uh, loved David. He's going to be very kind and have this treaty with Solomon. And uh, verse 4, 
Second uh, Chronicles 2, 4. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. And now he's going to say what's going to happen in the house of the Lord my God. We're going to dedicate it to him for the burning of incense of sweet spices before him and for the regular arrangement of the showbread and for burnt offerings morning and evening. So it's going to be a place where a lot is going to happen, even the daily morning and evening. So this is going to be a busy place, the center of our worship. On the Sabbaths, that's the Saturdays and the new moons, the monthly feasts and appointed feasts of the Lord our God as God as ordained forever for Israel, the house that I am to build will be great. For our God is greater than all gods. It is, it's fascinating what Second Chronicles says. So verse 4, to summarize verse 4, he's going to share how the temple would magnify the sovereign name of the Lord. And then verse 5, he's telling us, he's telling Hiram why the temple would magnify the name of the Lord. And to read that verse 5 again, the house that I'm about to build will be great because our God is greater than all gods. It's It's nice to see in scripture when, in the same verse, you have God capitalized versus little gods <laughs> not capitalized because all the rest of the gods in the rest of the Old Testament are mere inventions of men. There is only one God. And so uh, to build a house for his name because he is great, the house itself has to be great. And you're going to see um, in a couple of weeks when we look back at how much gold goes into the temple. We know how much gold was saved by David for the construction of the temple, and almost everything is covered in gold in this temple. It's going to be <laughs> extraordinarily uh, magnificent. All right, continuing in verse 6, sharing the limits of the temple. Uh, verse 6 says, But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. Like God isn't in just heaven or he's not in a temple. This isn't going to be God's house. And you may refer to this building as God's house. I, I would encourage you not to, because this isn't where God lives, <laughs> nor is it where we come, where we have to come uh, to worship because you should be worshiping in spirit and in truth. And Jesus taught that to the woman at the well. You don't have to go to a certain place to worship God. You should be worshiping God. Um, wherever you are, and we gather as God's people collectively to worship here, right? Um, but Solomon knows that when I build this temple, I'm not. We're not going to contain God here. <laughs> this isn't because He needs this. It's because we need this. So the temple is not for God. It's for the people. And so Solomon's helping Hiram. Maybe uh, Hiram knows uh, some things about God, likely through David and others. A godly people that taught Hiram, but in Solomon's theology, what he knows to be true about God and his correspondence with him is telling him uh, hot, the heaven, even the highest heaven, can't contain him. And then when he understands how big and how great God is, verse 6, he continues with, who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? So this is where we're going to connect to God. This isn't going to contain God. This is the merely the place where we are going to come and bring our offerings to the great king of the universe. He's the sovereign king. 
It's going to be magnificent because our God is as, as much wealth as we can put into this. We're going to do that. Um, but we understand the limits. And so when you understand how big and how great God is, Solomon understands that he's taught that he gets it. And he says, there's limits to this temple. And all we're doing here is going to build a place uh, that we can bring offerings before him. And then uh, verses 7 to 10 here, we won't uh, skip back and forth, but verse 7 to 10 here, he says, because of all of that, how great and how magnificent we want this building to be because of what it's going to represent and because of uh, what it's going to, how it's going to function. Can you send me a man who is skilled to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron? It sounds like a guy who has all the, all the skills of um, how to work with metal how to work with uh, precious metal, then how to work with purple and crimson and blue fabrics and trained also in engraving to be with the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David, my father, provided. Now, remember when David left all of those resources, he also provided skilled labor uh, that was said. And so your guy, he's saying to Hiram, is going to join my, my servants. And... Not only just uh, people, skilled people, uh, verse 9 says, and my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance for the house I'm about to build will be great and wonderful. And I will give your servants, uh, the woodsmen who cut the timber, um, a massive amount of crushed wheat and barley and a lot of wine and oil. So provide for their sustenance like groceries. All right. Uh, but enough to feed uh, the people that are going to uh, do the work. All right, and then verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, you don't have to turn back there, but Solomon says, Now therefore command the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants. I will pay you for your servants. The wages you set, and likely Hiram sets this amount of, of food to be given to his, his laborers. And Solomon says in chapter 5, verse 6 of Kings, you know uh, that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. And as soon as Hiram hears these words of Solomon, he rejoices greatly and says, blessed be the Lord this day who has given David a wise son to be over this great people. All right, so Sol Hiram responds favorably. Uh, to Solomon's request, he praises the Lord again for giving David a wise son. And then uh, we already looked at Second Chronicles 2, 11 and 12, where he praises the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He also praises uh, Israel as God's people. He praises Solomon's wisdom. He's a very generous, gracious, I would say godly uh, king uh, just to the north of Solomon. And Solomon is fortunate to have an ally like him who is generous and uh, responsive to this request. All right, so the workers for the temple construction, this takes a little bit of math and some cross-references to help us to understand how many laborers actually were involved here. If you start in 2 Chronicles 2, 1, uh, verse um, 2, 2, Solomon assigns 70,000 men to bear burdens and 80,000 to quarry in the hill country and 3,600 to oversee them. 
So if you add those numbers up, that's 153,600. Staying in Second Chronicles, there's an, another, uh, a few more. And uh, they're in Second Chronicles 8, verse 10. All those likely are foreigners uh, in Israel that are going to be used to help build, uh, collect all the stones. And then if you look at uh, Second Chronicles 8, 10, and these were chief officers of King Solomon, 250 who exercised authority over the people. So likely uh, all the 153,600 were uh, foreigners in Second Chronicles 2.2. And if you add to that number, the 250 chief officers, you get 153,850. Okay, keep that number in mind, and we'll see how First Kings matches that number, but it comes to it in a little different way. So First Kings um, five uh, tells us. Get back there. First Kings five. Um, Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel and drafted the number of thirty thousand men. They took shifts, ten thousand a month, so that they would be. Um, away from home, one month and two months at home. And then verse 15, Psalm also had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country, besides Solomon's 3,300 uh, chief officers. So if you add the 70 plus the 80,000 plus the 3,300, that's 153,300. So we have to find another 550, and unfortunately we do, in First Kings 9, verse 23. So First Kings 9, 23. <clears throat> the chief officers uh, in First Kings 9, 23, who were over Solomon's work, were 550. So if you had 550 plus the numbers there in 1 Kings 5, you get the exact same number they get in 2 Chronicles uh, 2 and 8. So it's fascinating. These, these books are written at different times. Uh, and when you add it all together, God's word is precise. The precision of God's word helps us to trust uh, a very ancient document written by two different people, probably a century or more apart, and yet, and they come to the the numbers uh, differently, but they come to the same, same sum, 153,850 constant labors, of which uh, only 250, according to Chronicles, were Israelite. The rest were foreigners who were uh, forced labors uh, because they weren't Israelite. All right, so what do we do with First Chronicles 5 and 2 Chronicles, uh, 1 Kings 5, I'm sorry, and 2 Chronicles 2? Well, a godly life, keeping God's sovereignty in mind, leaves a godly legacy. David really is still influencing this whole process. His name is still here. He's dead. He's gone. But what causes this to go really well for Solomon is David's godliness. David's godliness and the friendship he had with Hiram caused Hiram to want to make a treaty with him 
want to provide laborers and all the uh, the timber uh, for this uh, for this process that that makes Solomon's job a lot easier. And whenever we are godly, our children and grandchildren will enjoy godly legacy, even after we're gone. So that should it is David reading First Kings or Second Chronicles in heaven? <laughs> I don't know, but he's not surprised. At whenever we have what what's Galatians six eight, whenever we are godly and we sow to the Spirit, we shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There's godliness that goes beyond our lifetime. And we could look back in church history and the godliness of godly parents, the their children and even their grandchildren enjoy the godliness of their of their lives. So a godly legacy. Um, this is all magnifying God's sovereignty, which is why they're building the temple to magnify God's name. But David's life is still magnifying God's name after he's gone. Um their love, that's the love for the other leaders for David, uh, resulted in them helping build a house for God's sovereign name. So the question comes to us then, how can our godly lives keep magnifying God's sovereign name even after our passing? What resources, what influence can you have on the cause of Christ, magnifying God's sovereign name, even after you're gone. I'm going to stop the recording here. And we can we can discuss that. <laughs>